what in the world was that, y'all? I'm just joking. I asked the band to do that. Um, <laughs> and that, they did it really well. It couldn't make any sense, could it? You see, that's what chaos sounds like. There's two reasons for that. Number one, uh, VBS is coming, speaking of chaos. And if you want to know what chaos sounds like, it sounds like a bunch of kids running around uh, who desperately need to hear the gospel. And did you know, like, there are still opportunities to serve here at Volvo? We, we, have, we have VBS. Uh, we showed that video, by the way, because 2010 is when... Uh, a, a bunch of our graduates that graduate now um, were have been a part of VBS for years and years and years. And so just seeing how they have grown, in just a minute you'll see that Matthew has grown a little bit since 2010. Um, and so just seeing what God has done in them, but also like there are so many cool ways to be involved with VBS. And here at Volvo from 6.30 to 8.30, someone help me out. 8.45. Thanks, guys. I knew that wasn't right. From 6.30 to 8.45, uh, Monday through Friday, beginning June 24th, uh, we are going to have like hundreds of kids here at Volvo. I think we're ahead of registration where we were at this point last year. Like we're, we're pumped, which means we need everybody to be involved. If you have evenings uh, and you want to help get the gospel to a group of kids and the thousands that they interact with because they have families, you can sign up at the table that's right in the lobby. We could definitely use your help. But more than that, it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to invest in the kingdom. So that was the first reason that the band did that. The second one is because um, chaos just brings everything in life to a screeching halt, doesn't it? It, it brings confusion. You're trying to see what's going on, but you don't really know. In fact, some of you were in here tricking yourselves, trying to pick up which song that they were playing. And they were playing like seven songs all at once, just trying to like figure out like, where does my life exist in this? Because this doesn't sound good to my ears. I thought I heard something that I uh, don't tell people I listened to from the 80s that was playing. And like just trying to figure out what was going on in that world of chaos. And that's what, I mean, that, that like world, that feeling of everything does not make sense. But I'm trying to figure out how to make it make sense. The, the chaos of, of that whole process is, is how the church that, or the group of people that Peter is writing to in First Peter felt like, like everything around them doesn't make sense because of who they are now in Christ. In fact, look, look at First Peter. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 1. We're going to look just at two verses this morning, verse 8 and 9. And as we look at verse 8 and 9, we're going to understand the reality that Living in hope, uh, living hope loves Christ and relies on Him to win. We're going we're gonna to see that, but the way that we're going to see that is understanding that those whom Peter was writing to found themselves in a world of chaos because of who they were in Christ, that everything around them began to not make sense, especially when they were listening with ears that are in tune with who God has called them to be, who he wants them, them to be, and then listening to the cacophony of cultural noises 
that were going on around them. In fact, if you go to a symphony, it's a beautiful thing if you walk into a symphony hall 15 to 20 minutes prior to the beginning of the set. Because when you walk into that set, if you go to a symphony, you will hear all sorts of screeches and drums and horns aren't in symphony, symphony orchestra, horns and all sorts of just chaos as everybody's doing their own thing. And then the lights dim, they, everyone stops playing, and then a few minutes later, a single person walks up and stands in the middle, everyone claps, I don't know why, I just don't understand it, I'm sure there's a reason, and then he raises his little baton, and he begins to wave it, and suddenly what was chaos becomes beautiful symphony of parts playing together, and what seemed like it didn't fit now fits perfectly in tune with everything else. You see, what, what Peter's trying to do with, the, with those that he's writing to in First Peter is give them some understanding to direct and organize what's going on around them so they can begin to make sense and hear the beautiful music of what God is doing and do that even in the middle of their suffering. And look at 1 Peter chapter 1. This won't be on the screen, but look at just verse 1. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, uh, Peter is saying, listen, you are the ones that God has saved, and you're like the dispersion. Uh, That's a term that has both a theological significance and a geographical significance. The dispersion, with a capital D in your translations, the diaspora, is the group of God's people uh, that were scattered outside of God's promised land. And so what he does is he says, listen, you are God's people who have been saved, who are scattered everywhere uh, other than where God's land is. And he talks to a group of Christians about this. These people, and he goes on to list the different places they are at, Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, like all over the Roman Empire and other and, and Asia, even outside of it. He begins to talk to them and say, you, you don't belong in your culture anymore. They hadn't actually moved. In fact, this is probably before the great persecution came against Christians around 70, 72 AD. This was written even before that, and already God's people, without even having to move, were feeling different, that the culture around them was out of tune with whom God is calling them to be, and the cultural pressures that came with that were forcing them to live, to be challenged, to live their lives out of tune, and Peter's going to say, like, no, I'm, I'm going to help you understand how all of this works together because in the middle of all that, because of who they were, they were enduring great suffering. In fact, in chapter 1 and 2, Peter begins to talk to them, and we'll see this over the course of the next several weeks of now that they are in Christ, what does this mean to have a new identity? They were asking, what in the world does this mean? As we go even into chapter Three, he's going to talk about like, yeah, you're a citizen, but this is what it looks like to be a citizen as a Christian under the government that you are in. As we continue on through the book, he's going to talk about what it looks like to be a, a Christian in a non-Christian 
workplace. Peter's going to tell those who he's writing to, and God's going to tell us now as Scripture what it looks like to be in a relationship, or even specifically in a marriage where you're a follower of Christ, but your spouse is not. And so like, what does that mean for me now? How am I supposed to act and respond? Because this this doesn't feel like it makes sense anymore. He's even going to, all the way in chapter 3 through the end of chapter 4, and even now in chapter 1, begin to introduce the idea and affirm the reality that as a Christian, like, you're going to suffer. You, you will. You will suffer because you are different. And something happens that what used to sound good is now just straight up musical trash compared to what God has called you to be and the ears that he gives you. And in the middle of all that, here's what can happen, because I've been there before. We're in the middle of the chaos of life you begin to question as your heart is pulled to where you used to be and as your spirit is pulled to where God is calling you to be, you begin to question, how do I even like know that I'm a Christian? What are some, what are some, some things in my life that I can point to? What is a firm foundation that I can stand on as a follower of Christ, whether it's as a citizen or in my workplace or in my family or in my marriage or and even in my suffering, that helps affirm that I'm not just doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm also being who God has called me to be. What does that even look like? 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 is going to answer that question, and he's going to answer that question of what it looks like to be a Christian in a non-Christian world, how you can know that you're a Christian in a non-Christian world by giving two different attitudes that are shaped in the heart of a Christian, and they're simply this. That is, you know you're a Christian in a non-Christian world when you have an unexplainable love for Christ and on top of that, when you believe, when you rely, when you trust in Him. In fact, look at, look at what Peter does here in verses 8 through 9. He says this. He says, Though... You have not seen him. Okay, so right before verse 8, he just wrote like seven verses, and here's what Peter just got done saying. He just got done saying in these verses that God has caused you to be saved to a living hope. You have salvation in Christ. And in that living hope, you are being guarded by God's power, verse 4 and 5, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And in this you rejoice, even though you're suffering. And then Peter says, listen to one of the first evidences that you know in the middle of suffering and the chaos of what's going on around you, how you know that you're a Christian because in verse 8, you haven't even seen Jesus, yet you love him. Have you ever thought of how odd that is as a follower of Christ? That like there was a day, whether you uh, remember it or not, but if you came to Christ as someone who was, an old, who was uh, not a child, you, you remember a day when like you could care less about Jesus and the things of God. Maybe it affected you somewhat culturally or maybe in your family you had a grandma that had some respect for Jesus and he was your homeboy and all that. 
but really, truly, honestly, in the core of who you are, your love for him, and this word love is like, sacrifice my life for him. Your sacrificial love for Christ was non-existent, if even a thought in your mind at all. And then something happened as a follower of Christ. One day you, you began to realize your deep need because of your sin. You began to realize, whether it was through VBS or through some student event or through uh, something in college or through a friend who just kept trying to get coffee with you until finally your ears were opened or through a coworker and their example in their life and in their marriage and talking to you that like one day you did not know God, you did not love God, you had never seen God. And then the Lord opened something in your mind, something clicked, and from that moment forward, even though you're not perfect, when life is in chaos, you can say with 100% confidence, I love Jesus, and I've never even seen him. Do you know how massive of a miracle that is in your life? Do you know how crazy it is that you would have sacrificial, I'll give up everything kind of love for the sake of someone you have never met. Yesterday I was uh, talking with a guy who's been married for uh, oh, about 10 or 11 months, and one of the, one of the shifts that happens uh, in marriage, marriage isn't superior to singleness, but it's just a shift in a difference one of the things that happens is, through a long process of years and years and years and years is the process of living sacrificially for the sake of someone else. When parents become parents, there's a switch that flips. Like suddenly things that like used to matter don't matter anymore. Uh, I was at a pool party with a bunch of people who were in their 20s and have time to work out. I remember being there, right? I don't look like that anymore, but I don't care. You know why? Because my son was having an awesome time in the pool. It was incredible. I could care less about those things. I got a dad bod and I'm happy with it, all right? Because a switch has flipped. I just don't care about those things. And in the same way, man, there's a, there's a switch that flips in your being reconciled to God that, like, you haven't even seen Jesus, but you love him. And listen, in the middle of the chaos of life, asking the question, like, do I love Jesus right now in this moment? I'm not asking, are you living a perfect life? I'm saying, like, do you, do you love Jesus right now? That is an affirmation from God himself by the Holy Spirit that you have been saved even in the middle of a culture that is so loud about everything else. What a miracle of God. So here's a, here's a question. Like, like seriously, do you, do you love Jesus? Do you love Christ? Like really, I mean, searching your soul... Even though you have not seen Jesus, knowing that you're a Christian in the middle of chaos means at a minimum that in the chaos, you can say at the core of it all, I'd, I'd give up everything for him. It's a minimal standard of following Christ. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
right? Do you, at the core of who you are, love Jesus Christ? You see, the first attitude that Peter points out for those who enduring suffering that he was writing to is look at the miracle that God has wrought in your affections. That you love Jesus and you haven't even seen him. And Peter had seen Jesus. <laughs> and he didn't do a good job loving him and following him when he saw him, right? Like just read the Bible, you'll see that. Man, what a miracle that your living hope has produced in you as a follower of Christ. A love for Christ. And if you do not have a love for Christ, you do not know Christ. But secondly, he doesn't just say that man, the living hope within you produces a love for Christ but also he had that, that the living hope within you produces an ability, or rather a reliability on Christ. Now look at how he continues in verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. You would give up everything for him. And continuing on in verse 8, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. The word belief, this is the word faith. It's the same, same root of this word. It's, it's more than just like, oh, okay, I understand and think that what you're saying is true. But rather, it's a, it's a reliability. It's, a, it's, a, it's not just a crutch. It is the foundation of who you are. That if this thing were to be kicked out, you would fall completely on your face. That without this, you just simply cannot be held up. Peter says, listen... You still don't see him now, and you trust everything you are to who he is. Have you ever thought of how much of a miracle that is in your heart as a follower of Christ? Like, you rely on him more than you do your cell phone. Now, I say that because, have you ever left your cell phone somewhere and you can't find it? You realize very quickly how much you rely on a phone, don't you? You go all around the house trying to ask people to find it and look for it because life just simply cannot exist apart from that phone. Now, once again, I understand that there may be a generational gap there because some of you are like, I just use a map. And you're superior to everybody else who are lost without their GPS on their phone. But my point is this. You know that feeling of something you rely on when it's lost and your world comes crashing down and you can't move forward until you've found it. That feeling, that feeling right there is what this word faith means, this word believe. That I, I rely on Christ, that you as a follower rely on Christ as if everything in the world will stop if that gets pulled away. And Peter says, listen, in the middle of suffering, have you ever thought about the truth that the miracle of salvation, of living hope in your life where you were hopeless in a world that is hopeless, that the foundation, the thing under the thing, the thing that you stand on firmly is that in the middle of all of that and the chaos and confusion, you have a love for Jesus and you rely on him completely with everything about who you are. 
Church, there is something beautiful in our salvation that isn't ignorant of suffering, that isn't ignorant of the hardship of life, but rather intersects with our suffering and the hardship of life with the beautiful reality that because of the gospel, I love Jesus, I rely on him, and continuing on in verse 8 and 9, and I know of all things he will win in the end. Look at how it continues in verse 9. He says, though you do not now see him, verse 8, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is like a play on words because uh, rejoicing is expressing joy. And Peter says, you express joy that just can't even be expressed. It's so good. It's so full of glory and weight and beauty. It's such a part of your life based on the truth that in the middle of this, I know that I know that I know that I love Jesus with everything, that I rely completely on him. And then look at verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Some of your translations say uh, gaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you know why Peter can say, listen, in the middle of chaos, where the government is beginning to turn against you, where your work seems like a warfare zone, where taking one side or the other as a follower of Christ seems detrimental to my family and my career, where even being in your marriage now as a follower of Christ feels like taking sides against somebody to be with Christ. Whatever it looks like in the middle of that chaos, Peter says, listen, you love Jesus and you have your hope and reliance in him, and you know that in the middle of all that, at the foundation of all of it, you love him and you rely on him because he's going to win your soul in the end, and there's no one that can separate you from God. That he has you. That he will win. So what do we do with this? Well, a couple of things. Well, first, this morning, if... I mean, if you're in here and, and honestly, you are full of a room full of broken people. If you feel alone, you are full of a room of people that also feel alone always or at times. If you're in here today and you're wondering, like, like what's broken with me because I can't make sense of what's going on in this world, and you're wondering why you're living hopeless, may I ask you the question, just setting that aside for a minute, do you love Jesus with like everything of who you are? In loving Jesus with everything of who you are, part of that, do you, do you trust him fully with your life? You see, Peter begins with these two attitude shifts of understanding that that is from God uh, directly as an implication of the salvation and living hope that he has given them in verse 3 so that he can begin to remind those and encourage those who are followers of Christ Listen, I got some hard words of how to live in this culture. You're not going to be removed from it. You're going to be a Christian inside of it, and it's going to be really hard. But at the end of the day, God has you, He will win. And you know that he has you because you love him and that you haven't seen. You rely on him that you still don't see today. I'm telling you as a follower of Christ, what beautiful news this is for you and for me. That at the core of what we're going through, at the core of the circle of everything else around me, the chaos of everything else around me, I can ask myself the question, okay, 
Do I love Jesus? Yes. Do I rely on him? Yes. Then I might be exactly where God has called me to be, who God has called me to be in this moment. So now, God, what does this mean for you and how do you want me to be in this situation? And it's such a freeing and beautiful thing as a follower of Christ. But if you're not a follower of Christ, whatever it is that you're trying to anchor your life into simply will not hold when the storm and chaos of life come. You you have a foundation that is not firm. You've built a house upon sand that when the storm comes, it just blows down. Whatever analogies from Scripture that you want to use, I want you to know that in the chaos and confusion of suffering in a culture that's making you different because you are, you got nothing to hold on to in the midst of the storm. And today I would ask you, would you place your love on Jesus Christ, your faith in Him who will never be shaken, who does not move, who gives you an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled, who simply has overcome all sin in your life and holds you in your love for Him and holds you in your trust with Him and allows you to make sense of this world that one day everything false will be made untrue, that everything wrong will be made untrue right, that everything bad will be made good. Would you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And would you allow God to work in your heart a miracle of love for Him? And if that's you, I want you to know that's not from you. Like, you don't just wake up and say, man, I'm going to love Jesus with everything today. That is God opening your mind and opening your heart and opening your ears to see and hear and believe the gospel. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to respond to this right now. First, if you are a follower of Christ, I would ask you to ask yourself the question and allow God to speak to you in this moment. Are you living as if you love Jesus with everything? Like with everything. And secondly, why don't you ask God, God, like, man, I haven't seen you, but I, man, I rely on you. And is there an area of your life where you're not, you're not relying on God? Where truly at the core of it, if it came to putting weight on Jesus to take, you just simply don't trust him with that. And why don't, If you're a follower of Christ, why don't you just take some time to say, God, this thing is big and this thing is heavy and this thing is scary and I don't know what to do with it, but I'm having a hard time believing that you can and allow him to continue to work that miracle of faith and love in your heart toward Christ. If you aren't a follower of Christ and truly at the core of who you are. You'd say, I I don't love Jesus, but I want to. And I, I just don't. I haven't trusted him as my Lord and Savior, but I want to. Right now, why don't you take some time 
to ask God to awaken your love for him, to ask God to give you faith and trust to believe in him. And the way that you do that is by believing the gospel. The gospel is simply the truth that you did not love God, you did not believe in God, you had sinned against God, and so God loved you, and he created a way for you to be restored back to him, to know that he is fully reliable, that he fully loves you, and that you and his relationship can be restored. And he did that by sending Jesus to die on the cross for your sin so that your sin that separates him that separates you from his love and from believing in him can be washed away and taken care of completely that your love for God would be uh, uh, would be inflamed and that your belief in Jesus would be magnified so right now in this moment if you're not a follower of Christ would you and you want to be you feel like God is awakening your heart to love him like you never have known before, would you just cry out to God right now and say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, would you forgive me of my sin? Show me what it is to love you. Help me to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to you. That I can rely on you because I know you're reliable. If that's you this morning and you prayed something like that in just a minute when we're while we're singing, would you just, uh, I'm going to be up front, Gary, my brother Gary, one of the other pastors here is going to be up front. We'd love to talk with you during this last song. Or maybe you just need to pray with a pastor to find out, like, hey, I'm struggling with some stuff, and I need to know what it looks like to love God in this, to believe in God in this. Again, we're a group of broken people. We all need help, and so we would, I would love to invite you to just come, whatever it is, and talk with us. We'd love to help you take whatever that next step is. So let's pray, and then let's stand and respond to the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for being so good to us. And we pray, God, that you would give us the courage and conviction to respond appropriately to you. Help us to walk out of this response time more in love with Jesus, relying more.